1: You're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate.
0: And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back.
1: Today, you'll learn about a possible genetic link to vegetarianism, the discovery of a very important ancient woman, and the truth about homework.
0: Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity.
1: Yeah, you know how to tell if someone is a vegetarian.
0: Are you going to say that they will just tell you all about it because I'm pretty sure you recently told that joke on an episode about the keto diet.
1: Look, it's a solid joke.
0: Uh-huh, yeah, it's very funny.
1: Okay, fine. <laughs> and, I, and of course I'm only kidding. And it turns out that by some counts as much as 22% of the world population maintains a vegetarian diet.
0: Okay, I'm going to be totally honest here. I am basically a carnivore myself, but one of my closest friends is actually a vegetarian. And it's really interesting to see her make her choices when it comes to like restaurants we can go to and stuff.
1: Well, she is not alone. 20% of the global population means well over a billion people. And while that percentage changes, depending on which country you're studying, the fact is there are a lot more vegetarians than some people think. And a new study is teasing out a pretty cool reason why that might be.
0: Okay, wait. So Vegetarianism is a choice, right? So aren't people vegetarians because they choose to be?
1: Well, yes. And there are a ton of reasons people list as the reasons behind that choice. For some, their religion prohibits them from eating meat. Others believe that a plant-based diet is healthier for them, as well as more ethical for the planet. And some people, they just don't like meat. But scientists wanted to know if there could possibly be some genetic link that makes the decision to not eat meat a little easier.
0: Oh. Okay, so there could be a gene that links vegetarians.
1: That's what they wanted to know. So they analyzed the genomes of more than 335,000 people, including over 5,000 vegetarians, and found something interesting. On chromosome 18, one little point called RS27884519.
0: Say that five times fast.
1: (laughs) There is this little segment. That little segment is significantly associated with vegetarians. And in another analysis, three more gene variants that were clustered in the same region are also associated with a meat-free diet.
0: Weird. Okay, so what's the deal? Does this mean that even though vegetarians think they're making a conscious choice not to eat meat, their diets were already written into their DNA?
1: That's where more research is needed. Other studies have suggested that our genes play a role in the foods that we like.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, we did a story not so long ago about the genes that cause some people to think cilantro tastes like
1: soap. Exactly. But while these genes seem to have some association with vegetarians, the connection between genetics and this kind of diet isn't understood very well. They do know that some of these genes are involved in how fat or lipids help the brain function. And that's a pretty enticing clue, but it could also have nothing to do with a vegetarian's decision to kick meat to the curb.
0: So in other words, the study is just the tip of the iceberg lettuce. Okay, now yeah, who's
1: making yeah. bad jokes?
0: <laughs> it's a good joke. Archaeologists in northeastern France have discovered something remarkable, an 1800-year-old Roman era sarcophagus holding the remains of a woman.
1: Okay, I'm all about archaeological discoveries and this one sounds pretty amazing, uh, but this one comes from the modern era, right? Haven't archaeologists discovered a ton of graves like this one?
0: Well, okay, yeah, around 150 years ago, archaeologists began discovering cemeteries in this region near what is now the French city of Roms. and since then, they've unearthed some 5,000 ancient burials.
1: All right, so what makes this one in particular so special?
0: All right, so to understand that, it's important to understand this location a little bit better. So back in the Roman days of the 2nd century, Roms was known as Durocatorum. It was one of the biggest cities in the entire Roman Empire and the capital of this province. It's right at the crossroads of France, Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and Germany.
1: So it's not just some backwater place.
0: Oh, no, not at all. That's partly why they found so many burial sites here. It was a busy place with a ton of living and dying going on. The necropolis where our woman was found is one of several that they found over the years that lie outside the city's fortifications.
1: So maybe it's like a country cemetery?
0: Oh, sure. That's that's a pretty good way to think about it. But a few of these, including this one, were placed alongside roads leading to other major Roman cities, like Lutetia, or as you might know it today, Paris. And what do you find on roads leading from one major city to another major city?
1: Uh, travelers,
0: yeah, um, and grave robbers,
1: um, yeah, sure. how was I supposed to guess that? But <laughs> so maybe they've found five thousand grave sites, but how many of them were full of artifacts?
0: Ah, see, you got it. Almost none of them. The archaeologists involved in this dig say that virtually all of the burials that have been excavated have been essentially empty, but not this one.
1: All right, amazing. So why not this one?
0: It's not totally clear. Although the sarcophagus was made from rough limestone and sealed with eight iron clasps, its lid is about 1,700 pounds. So it's entirely possible that any potential looter couldn't figure out a good way in. And that's a good thing for us because this lady
1: was a boss. I would guess so with a sarcophagus built that way. So what did they find in there? Like, was it just her remains
0: Well, they used x-ray imaging to get a glimpse inside and then inserted an endoscopic camera to get a closer look. They found a human skeleton, which, after analysis, was determined to be a woman around the age of 40 or so. And entombed with her was a trove of beauty supplies, like a small mirror and a comb. They found an amber ring and four oil lamps, which may have been placed with her to light her way to the afterworld. And they found two glass vials. Uh, They think they could have been filled with, like, scented oils.
1: So with the items found and the, the heft and the weight of the sarcophagus, She must have been a pretty important person.
0: That's what they think. Some DNA analysis might be able to place her in local or foreign elite circles, but that's yet to be determined. But in a world of looted graves, finding one that's been totally undisturbed for over 1,800 years gives researchers a really enticing glimpse into the ancient world of the Romans.
1: (sighs) Them old grave robbers, ruining it for everyone. What do you feel when I say the word homework?
0: I mean, do you mean other than panic, dread, exhaustion, anxiety, existential terror? Like, the list goes on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? I still have nightmares where I show up to school and realize I've forgotten my homework.
0: Okay, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. I mean, now I'm going to have anxiety and nightmares.
1: Well, there's actually been a pretty huge debate over homework among parents and educators over the past few years, especially as anxiety rates in kids appear to be on the rise. The question is this, are we giving our kids too much homework? Like, is plugging away at school work how they should be spending their time outside of school?
0: Yeah, it kind of sounds like the kid version of the work-life balance problem, right?
1: That's a good way to put it. And to be fair, most researchers agree that some amount of homework is actually beneficial. But those benefits vary depending on the age of the student and just how much homework they're given.
0: Okay, so what does the research say? Can students finally just, I don't know, let the dog eat it? <laughs>
1: Well, not quite. Like I said, there are benefits.
0: Yeah, sure, like learning when the War of 1812 went down or how to balance equations.
1: Absolutely. But not all of the benefits are academic. Think about it this way. Giving kids homework also teaches them about personal responsibility. Accomplishing these tasks can make them feel more empowered and confident, right?
0: I mean, as much as I'm complaining about it, to be honest, it feels like the responsibility of getting your homework done is kind of like a rite of passage.
1: Yep, and it teaches time management skills, uh, persistence, and it can give parents a chance to participate in their kids' academic and personal development.
0: All sound like good things.
1: Plus, according to some studies, for middle schoolers and high school kids, homework is associated with higher scores on standardized tests. So there are pretty clear academic positives, too. But there's a balance.
0: Okay, so here comes the kicker.
1: Too much homework can get in the way of all the other good stuff human beings need to learn to grow up confident and healthy. It's important for teens to socialize, for example. It's important to get some family time, too. And not to mention the fact that if you're sitting at a desk, you're not getting any fresh air or exercise.
0: Oh, we're going to get in so much trouble. Every teenager listening to this is going to go to their parents and tell them that homework is bad for their health. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so where's the balance here?
1: Well, for elementary kids, the less homework, the better they haven't really found any benefits associated with homework in younger children. So think like 10 minutes max. And it should be geared toward building confidence and independence, not toward pounding home facts and figures. For middle and high schoolers, the rule of thumb is about 10 minutes per grade. So the absolute max should be between an hour and a half and two and a half hours for high schoolers, and no more than an hour for middle school students.
0: And that's the max though, right? So less is maybe even better?
1: Yep, and if parents want to help, there are a couple ways that make their help extra helpful. First, it's important to give guidance and encouragement and even help set boundaries, but let your child work as independently as possible. You know, help your child, but wait until they ask for help. The goal is to teach them self-reliance and responsibility. At least, that's what the research says.
0: No, it sounds like these researchers have really done their homework. (laughs)
1: Uh, Maybe that joke should have just been left in your backpack.
0: Oh, you do not like my jokes today.
1: Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. A recent study suggests that genetics might play a role in people's decision to adopt a vegetarian diet, identifying specific genetic markers linked to this dietary choice. While it hints at genetic factors, personal taste preferences still hold sway when it comes to what's on your plate.
0: In the heart of northeastern France, archaeologists unearthed a remarkable time capsule from the ancient Roman Empire, an 1800 year old unopened sarcophagus containing the remains of an elite woman. Sealed with eight iron clasps and guarded by a 1700 pound stone lid, the monumental tomb held a treasure trove of beauty accessories, from a mirror to an amber ring, shedding light on the opulent customs of the past.
1: Research has shown that homework has academic benefits for middle and high school students, but not for kids in elementary school. But there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. High schoolers should max out at about an hour and a half to two and a half hours, and middle schoolers should do no more than one hour of homework a night. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
0: Our Discovery executive producer is Dominique Vu. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gade and Nate Bonham.
1: Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Sam Osterhout.
0: Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Karisimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next
1: week. Planning for your next trip?